Blue collar people are some of the grittiest, toughest, bravest human beings on the planet. Every building, bridge, and road was built on the backs of their hard work. Every piece of raw material was mined by their calloused hands. They manufacture our goods and transport them around the world. We see that strong outer shell, but there's more to every person than meets the eye. In this podcast, blue-collar business leaders tell their stories of courage and victory over crushing defeats. That's only possible because of a mental and emotional fortitude and a willingness to ask for help. It's our mission to bring hope to those of us who are strong on the outside, but may be living a life of quiet desperation on the inside. We'll do that by working together to tell the truth about the challenges we face and what it really takes to break through them. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Tragedy to Triumph podcast. I am your host, Mick Carbo. I'm here with an amazing person, Heather Kurtenbach. She's got a fantastic story to tell here. She's uh, she. I'm not going to tell you too much about her right now, but she's uh, she's sort of a hero in my world. I've I've heard her story, and I know where she's at now in her life. And she's uh, she's she's had a an amazing journey of it, and she's uh, uh, here to tell us about it today. So, Heather, will you take a moment and just introduce yourself and tell us anything you'd like us to know about you. Hello, everybody. Um, my name is Heather Kurtenbach, like Mick said. Um, I am a business agent in Seattle, Washington for Ironworkers Local 86. Uh, married to a wonderful guy named Troy and um, a dog person. So we have three dogs at home. Uh, those are the kids. Um, I'm a pretty outdoorsy person, so we like to hunt and fish and camp and go to the dunes and things like that. Love to ski. Yeah. Nice. And and Heather, what part of the world are you in? Uh, I'm in Olympia, Washington, which is about an hour south of Seattle, Washington. Ah, uh, cool. Cool. All right. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. Uh, I think it's it's great to have the audience kind of get a little bit of a picture about you know who we're who we're talking to here, and you know, similar to everybody else on this podcast, you've got a story to tell. So I, yes. I'd love for yes, you I to. Do. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And th and thanks, by the way, for being so willing to be open and share about this. You know, these these stories that we tell here on the podcast aren't. Um, you know, sometimes they, you know, they, they aren't the, the best uh, stories and they don't paint the best pictures of ourselves. Right. But we've, you know, we've all got them and, and, you know, yours is so great because you, you came from where you came from and you are, you are where you are now. So I'd love to take the audience here on a journey, starting back at the, you know, at the beginning. So what was the, what was the struggle or the obstacle that you had to face back in the day? Sure. So, um, first of all, thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, yeah. this is my nice. first podcast, so it's kind of, uh, interesting and different. Um, and I just want to add in there before I start that I feel like, uh, you know, if anything I say today help, helps just one person, then, you know, it was all worth it. And I'm not ashamed of where I come from. So that's why I share it so freely. Um, yeah. I used to be, but I'm not anymore. So, um, so with that, we'll uh, just get right into it. So, um, I mean, I was born into it, right? I was born into uh, my mom had me and um, I believe she was a drug user when she had me, but that was never confirmed. But, um, you know, she was very dysfunctional and very toxic. And, um, she, you know, she had me and she was with my dad and then she had my sister and shortly after that, her and my dad, you know, split up and we moved uh, to the town I live in now, Olympia. And um, uh, it was downhill from there, you know, her, um, she drank and um, she used drugs. I don't think hard drugs, you know, in the beginning, um, but as the years went on through my childhood, um, you know, the drugs got harder and harder and the, her addiction, you know, got progressively worse. And, um, you know, we witnessed a lot of things that we probably shouldn't have as kids, you know, domestic you, violence and 
Do, so, was there like a, uh, do you remember like the earliest age when you realized that that stuff was going on and that, you know, it shouldn't, shouldn't be that way? Yeah, I do. I was in kindergarten and, um, wow. she would tell us, you know, Hey, I'm, she would tell my stepdad or, you know, I'm going to go to the store and get, you know, bread. That was her big thing. I'm going to go get bread. And uh, we wouldn't see her for two, three, four days, sometimes a week, you know. Um, and that happened quite frequently throughout my childhood. She would just disappear. Mm. Um, as I got older, um, it used to really bother me. I would call around to, you know, the bars and uh, the hospitals looking for her when she hadn't been home. I'd stay awake at night. You know, if I heard a car, I'd get up and look out the window waiting for her. Um, <clears throat> uh, sometimes in the lucky event, I was able to get her on the phone, you know, at a at a cocktail room or a bar or whatever, you know, begging her to come home. And she, oh, I'll be there. I'll, I'll, I'll come on, I'm on my way, you know, and then it'd yeah. still be a couple of days after that. Um, the thing is, is, you know, I she had a husband at home and he was stewing that whole time. And so when she got home, there was always a fight, always a fist fight, always a brawl. Um, the police were always called most mm. of the time by me. Ambulances would come, you know, it was just really um, traumatic for me and my siblings. Yeah. Um, I bet. How many siblings? Also, uh, so I have a sister, I have a sister and a brother that are living and I have a brother who died by suicide about three years ago. Mm -hmm. um, he was the youngest of us. Uh, I'm the oldest. And so the responsibility of taking care of those kids fell on me. Um, so a lot of times I didn't go to school because I would stay home to take care of them or, you know, the littlest one, he wasn't in school yet. Um, playing sports was pretty much out of the question. You know, I, I tried to play softball or you know, get involved here or get involved there with my school and my friends. And it never lasted for long because I was always, you know, dealing with things at home. Sure. So, so sorry to hear about your brother, by the way. Thank you. That was a hard one. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. I bet. Yeah. So you're, uh, you're, this, this journey starts when you're in kindergarten, you're, uh, you're, uh, you're a little kid and you're, you know, witnessing some things that you, you know, that no kid should witness. Is there anything else you would share about any of those things that you saw? I mean, you shared a, you know, a bunch of tragic things already fist fights with, you know, between, you know, uh, your parents and cops being called and all types of craziness. What, what else? <clears throat> Lots of drug use. Um, and then, you know, as I got older, um, I started smoking cigarettes and started smoking weed, started drinking. Um, and then as I, you know, I got pregnant when I was 17 uh -huh. and right after that, right after I delivered the kids, um, I left their dad and I moved back into my mom's and this was pretty much at the height of her addiction. Um, and so she took me, you know, took me up to Tacoma and introduced me to her meth dealer and, uh, left us there alone. And, you know, Pretty soon I was going up there and, you know, basically giving him my body to pick up her drugs mm. and, uh, you know, taking them home and doing them with her. You know, she's the very first person I ever did meth with. Um, wow. Did she did she ask you to do that or was that something that you decided to do? You know, it was never spoken about. It was just kind of like I knew. I knew, you know, my intuition told me, okay, this is what's happening. I just knew. Mm. Uh, I can't really explain it. You know, we went into there to that hotel room. She introduced us and then she left. And so I kind of, I just knew that that was the expectation. Wow. And I did it. So. Yeah. 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 Which, you know, uh, getting involved in that world. So I had never really uh, been on that side of things yet. And so uh, that introduced me to a whole new group of people. Um, and before long, 
and it didn't take very long. You know, I had left my kids uh, at my mom's house and I had disappeared up there in that world of, you know, running and uh, she took my kids and dropped them off at their dad's. And, um, you know, I'm, I was introduced to a whole new world up there, you know, yeah. all the, the big time. Well, I guess they were big time to me at the time, you know, the drug, uh, sellers and the makers and, um, you know, before long, I was on my way to prison for the first time. Wow. I was 18, 18 at that time. Wow. Yeah. Was it, did you, was it from getting caught like buying drugs or from something else? My first charge was a possession with an intent to deliver. <clears throat> okay. So uh, it was the first time I'd ever been in trouble with the law and they sent me to prison. Okay. Man, <laughs> you yeah. guys aren't playing around. I thought I got at least a one or two chances, but that's when you learned they weren't playing around, huh? Yeah, I think it was because of the person that I was caught with. Ah, okay. Uh, he was uh, much, much older than me and uh, uh, very much wanted by the authorities. Okay. So I okay. think that, you know, they were... Yeah. And that wasn't his first offense, I'm imagining. Oh, no. He actually ended up going to federal prison um, uh, for quite a while. Okay. I'm not in contact with him anymore, of course, but I hear through the grapevine from time to time that he's out, but yeah. I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah. Good. Good. So, okay. So this was, this was 18 and you actually, you actually had to go away for a while? I did. They gave me a year and a day, which put me in, took me out of jail and put me in a state facility for about oh, 10 months, 10 months. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, I got out of there, got out. Um, I did good for, you know, for quite a while, had a job and um, had my kids back, finally got my kids back and, um, but I got complacent. And, uh, so that was, and it, it took about 10 years, 10 years or so, you know, I was out and, you know, stay, staying clean and working. And, um, I moved. Yeah. I started hanging around with, you know, people that I knew before and ended up in places I shouldn't have been. And, uh, ended up using again. Um, yeah, man. There's a time gap there. I'm trying to bridge the gap um, from when I caught that second charge. Okay, so yeah. I ha I did. I, I relapsed and I'd been running around um, with a guy and I'm not going to name any names just because, yeah, you know, I don't feel like that's appropriate to put them on. On, you know, on so everyone in the world can know their name, but um, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, so I was running around with him and, you know, just kind of couch surfing if I was sleeping at all, you know, very unhealthy um, <clears throat> living in a car, just running around dealing drugs you know, um, and, uh, he got arrested and ended up going to prison. Okay. Um, so I moved in with a couple in this little town down in Rochester and, you know, I got my kids back and, um, you know, things were going good. Uh, got my kids back and I was, I had gotten us just this little teeny tiny two bedroom place to live. I had a job working at the newspaper um, and things were going really well. Um, and then I met my first husband and that marriage only lasted 10 months, by the way. <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, anyways, we ended up, um, you know, buying a place. And um, one weekend when my kids were gone at their dad's, you know, one of his friends came over and had some meth and, you know, we were just like, oh, we're just going to do it for the weekend, you know, and no big deal, but, uh, 
you know, as you soon learn, it, it is a big deal, you know, because the weekend comes and you stay up all weekend and then, you know, you're trying to go to sleep Sunday night to go to work the next day and you can't go to sleep and you got to go to work. And I mean, it just all of a sudden you're back into this vicious cycle, you know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so we did. We just got strung out on, you know, the meth again and living the life. And my kids were there and, mm. um, you know, I was trying to hold it all together and be like some sort of functioning mom addict, you know. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, it didn't take long. And my husband at the time, um, he got arrested for, uh, well, I thought he was over at his friend's house, but actually he was at the bar. He got arrested for um, indecent exposure at the bar. And oh, wow. um, I just couldn't get past that. You know, it was like, <clears throat> after all the, um, all the sexually um, inappropriate things that I had been through in my life, I just couldn't get over even just the indecent exposure. I was like, what that, what were you thinking? What were you doing that you would go into a public place and expose yourself? You know, you were obviously high. Like, I don't know what you were. I just couldn't get past it. Sure. Um, so we split. Um, I stayed in the house, but I continued uh, to use. And in the meantime, uh, the ex-boyfriend that was in prison was calling me. Um, okay. And he hooked me up with somebody who taught me how to make methamphetamines. And uh, after that, it was game on. You know, I the kids were still there, but I wasn't taking care of them. I wasn't present. Um, sure. You know, and that's really, that's the one thing that really I carry around with me today. And I mean, I can get into that later, but, um, you know, they were going to school, but I wasn't making sure they were bathed and I wasn't making sure there was food in the house and there were yeah. people in my house that shouldn't have been there and, you know, chemicals in my house. And, you know, it was just a bad deal, bad deal. And it took a while. It took a while for, you know, everything to come to a head. But when it did, you know, it ended up with um, the cops knocking on my door and taking my kids and, uh, uh you know, telling me how sorry they had felt for me because of the, you know, the ex-boyfriend that had gone to prison. They knew that I had been with him and he was pretty abusive to me. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, the cops are like, man, we used to feel sorry for you. And now look, you know, and I was thinking, geez, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so the kids went to foster care until their dad figured out, you know, what was going on. I went to jail. Um, I got bailed out. Can I just ask you is this uh are when you when you learned how to make the meth, mm -hmm. was it just for your own use or were you were you all making it and, and selling it? Mm -hmm. I was making yeah. it, selling it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um I thought, oh, I'll just make meth and pay my bills and take care of my kids and yeah, you know, I had seen <laughs> it's just ridiculous. I had seen functioning, you know, people. I had sold drugs to them, you know, they sure you know, Oh, we got to work or we're going here. We're, you know, doing that. And it seemed to me like they were living life completely normal. Uh, and it seemed to me that that's, you know, after growing up in it too, that was just normal. Right? Yeah. It like, seemed normal. I get that. Right? Yeah. Getting up and going to work was like, why do that when you can do this? So, um, uh, where was I? So the, they, they came and picked up the kids and took them to foster care. They did. And then, uh, so I got bailed out of jail. Um, and then I went on the run. <laughs> oh, wow. I was like, I'm out. So I popped on a Greyhound bus and I went to Denver, Colorado. Mm. Uh, I didn't have a plan. I had, I had a place to stay, but the place to stay was like the crack dealer's house. Yeah. So, and I didn't even know the person before I went there. It's like somebody else I knew knew him and was like, Hey, go to Denver and go here. It'll be fine. And, uh, I'm sure that had I stayed, it would have been, would not have been very long before I was, you know, prostituting myself there for, you know, it was kind of a, that kind of a place. Yeah. Um, and I got really sick, like bronchitis, or I just remember laying there so sick. Um, like literally sick, not like coming off a of drug sick. Yeah, I, had plenty, yeah, I, I had plenty of drugs with me, but I was like sick. 
Um, when I, you know, I just laying there, I was like, God, this, you thinking to myself, I mean, I feel like I had a moment of some sort of thinking. I was like, this is never going to work. Like, how are you going to get a, what are you going to do? How are you going to hide your whole life? You know, how are you going to get away with you're wanted in Washington? How are you, how's that going to work out? You know, how are you going to live normal here? Yeah. So I, and I actually ended up getting on a bus and coming back and um, I knew it was only a matter of time before I got caught. So Mm. I just, you know, kept using drugs and running around and going to the casino and, seeing all the blingy lights and, you know, and, uh, selling drugs and using drugs. And, you know, I just knew it was a matter of time though. And it, it, it was, they caught me, they got me at the casino. Um, and, uh, yeah, it took me to jail. Wow. Uh, and it wasn't long after that. God, it must've been just a week before I had been sentenced and was on my way to prison for the second time. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're like, yeah, we're not letting you go. You're yeah, going. yeah. Um, I guess probably because you had that track record of running. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I knew I wasn't going anywhere. I kind of felt, a, kind of felt a sense of relief, to be honest. You know, the running was gone. I was like, man, I can sleep. You know, um, I knew that I deserved to be going to prison. Um, I had, I had caused a lot of devastation along the way. Yeah, sure. You know? uh, in the meantime, though, you know, my mom, oh, she died in June of 2005, mm. right before I got out of prison. But she had been in a nursing home for 10 years. She was 49 when she died. She had been in a nursing home for 10 years. She had had um, an aneurysm. Um, she had gone to jail and was um, coming down off of heroin. And I'm not sure if, you know, the aneurysm was a part of that or if it was a pre-existing condition she had or what, but um, she ended up having an aneurysm in jail. And while not many people survive that, yeah, uh, she did. Um, and she had been in a nursing home for 10 years and that fed a lot of, um, I mean, that was really painful for us. Yeah. You know, as kids, even though she was like the worst mother on the planet, it was still really painful. And, you know, we'd try to go visit her, but she didn't remember us. I mean, she knew our names, but she didn't know which one we were. So we'd go in there and be like, which one, you know, who's, what's my name? And she'd say, Heather, Heidi, Donnie, Michael, you know, um, but she she couldn't tell you which kid. And, um, you know, that happened to her when she was 39 years old. Mm. I bet that was really hard to go through i mean like like you said she she obviously wasn't the best mom around but she was your mom right yeah it was very painful um and it was very you know uh pretty pain gosh i want to say it was very painful when she passed you know i got a call i was at work release and my sister called me you know and told me that she was dying and I had gotten clearance, you know, for my dad to come and get me and take me over there, but she died before that could even happen. So, so I just chose to stay put. Yeah. Uh, I chose to stay in Spokane at work release and, uh, you know, I cried for a couple of days and I was sad, but, um, I don't know. I, I have this thing about when, you know, I had to come to terms with it and it's still, you know, sometimes it pains me, but it is what it is. Right. Yeah. Sure. People die. So. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah. Um, so work release, I was in work release. Well, I mean, is, I can talk this is during that second time, second time you went to jail, right? You got, yeah. Prison. This, yeah. So we can, I can talk about that. So, you know, I go to prison. Um, I'm in prison. Uh, I don't like being in prison. <laughs> I was sentenced to five years. Uh, six, I think it was 62 months I was sentenced to. Uh, I did 41 of those months. Um, so I get there, you know, you go through the receiving part of it and you, um, 
you know, you have to detox. I had a week, a week on them. So, you know, but I was still wanting to sleep a bunch and um, I'd already been there once before. So I knew what to expect, you know, as far as that, I didn't do very much time the first time, but at this time I was you know, going to do some time. Not a lot. I mean, I don't consider it a lot compared to what some people, you know, are sentenced to or doing. Sure. Um, uh, so, you know, I go through the whole classification. I end up in minimum security. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm just going along and they started this new program there at the time, uh, you could work on the DNR crews. They were just starting it up. And so like, we had to go and interview for it. And I thought, oh, this will be great. I can, you know, leave, leave here every day, go out, you know, we planted trees, we, um, thinned forests, um, fought fires you know, did all that kind of outdoorsy stuff. I never knew I had that in me, the outdoorsy part of it. Yeah. I didn't know it was a part of me until, um, I started working on that crew. Um, I became the lead on that crew. So I was responsible for, you know, helping the new ladies who came to crew, you know, helping them learn how to chainsaw and be safe and all that other stuff. Um, 10 of us on a crew. Um, our crew, our crew boss was Mr. Mather and uh, I'll never forget that guy. Mm. He, um, just a gruff guy, you know, uh, just built, you know, thick and a little short and, uh, a good man, you know, and, um, he always expected the best out of us every day, you know, even when <laughs> we'd be sitting out there, you know, like tree planting season was always in the cold and snow and rain and, we'd get back to the crummy to eat our lunch and it'd be a bologna sandwich and an apple, you know? And mm. I mean, we'd, God, we get so mad. Sometimes we'd cry be like, God, we're starving. This is all they're going to feed us. You yeah. know? Um, so we learned, you know, um, we made the most money. So we got, you know, when we went to fires, we got paid a dollar an hour. So, um, and that was a lot. That is a lot. Yeah. 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 When you're there. Yeah. Um, sure. Especially cause you know, I didn't have, uh, I didn't have any family support. You know, I didn't have anybody sending me money. Yeah. Um, my dad came to see me once. Um, and I had called him one time and asked him if he would send me a clothes package. That was back when you could wear your own clothes and in, in the facilities. And he begrudgingly did it, but I could tell, I could tell that he didn't want to, Yeah. you know? Um, mm. So we would, uh, we had thermoses assigned to us through the DNR. So, excuse me. So we'd make soup in the morning, out, out, you know, with our commissary stuff, and then it'd be ready at lunchtime. You know, we, we always found a way around to, you know, get some more because, man, we were working hard, <laughs> working hard out there. Yeah, you um, need a little more than bologna. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, to this day, I've never eaten a piece of bologna. Uh, oh, since you've been out? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I bet, I bet not. It's, it's been probably, 15 oh, years. Yeah. Yeah, it's been 15 years. I've never touched a piece of bologna. Yeah, I don't <laughs> yeah. blame you. Uh-uh. And as a kid, I liked like fried bologna sandwiches and stuff. Sure. You know, we eat that stuff. We didn't have much money. You know, we eat out of the food bank. And we're on welfare. So, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm not doing the bologna. Yeah. So tell, tell me a little more about Mr. Mather. How was that? How was, how was he, how did he treat you all? And what was that like? Well, he treated us all the same. <clears throat> um, he expected our very best out of us every day, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and he always knew, he, I mean, he, it's just like, he knew if something was wrong or something was bothering you, you know, he'd ask, you know, what's going on. He called us all by our last names. Um, you know, he was just, uh, he was hard, but he, uh, but he was fair. And, uh, like I said, he expected our very best. And I feel like he really helped instill in me the work ethic that I have now. Um, or at least help me fig- find that I had a work ethic, you know, um, or bring it out in me, if you will. Um, I think he, he helped a lot of women, a lot of women realize, you know, that we were better than what our circumstances were. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's a so, good man. <laughs> was there, was there a moment while you were there in prison when you were like, okay, this is it. Like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm clean now. Obviously you had to detox and you, you know, you didn't, you, you, 
I guess you could have gotten drugs in prison. Did you, did you make a, did you make a choice to not do that? And did you, did you say, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a different life for myself. I'm going to clean up and, and have it go better for me. What did that happen? Was there any kind of moment of, you know, choice <laughs> like that? Yeah. I mean, I mean, there was one defining moment, but it was, and I'll get to that in a second, but it was pretty much every day because it's miserable there. Yeah. The food is horrible. You know, sometimes they wake you up in the middle of the night, make you get out of bed, go out into the, you know, the area outside for a pitcher card count. You know, it's loud. Um, You see women who just use that place like as a revolving door hotel, you know, they leave in their back, they leave in their back, they leave in their back. And I was thinking, that is not going to be me. I'm not going to be that person. Uh, but one defining moment, you know, we were sitting out in the yard and the rare occasion we got to play softball, you know, we were playing softball on a summer day and, uh, you know, a, a whole pack of motorcycles drove by, you know, there's a highway right behind the prison. And, you know, I always loved to ride, but I always dated guys who misused me yeah. So I could get a ride on their motorcycle, you know? And so I was thinking to myself, um, when I get out of here, I'm going to have a motorcycle. Mm. Like this is it. I'm not coming back here. This place sucks. And, uh, the very first major purchase I made when I was released from prison and gainfully employed was a Harley Davidson. Nice. So, nice. Yeah. 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 Well, Hey, you know, that, uh, it's different things for different people. Right. And you, you, you know, you, yeah. you had, you had this vision for something that you wanted and it was, it was, it sounds like it was enough for you. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I've since built off of the Harley Davidson, of course, but I'm sure. Yeah. To me, that was like one of the, my defining moments, like, man, I really, made it i'm gonna make it out here you know uh the first defining moment of course was when i got accepted into my union you know that was pivotal um when they called my number that day i knew then and there that i was gonna be okay as long as i put in the work i was gonna be just fine and i had that work ethic right from being out in the woods chainsawing and miserable and then you know sometimes we'd get back to the gate and they'd turn us right back around to go to a fire and we'd stay gone all night long fighting a fire so we'd be gone from the facility for like over 24 hours no sleep yeah um and so i you know in, in times like that you know we all had to dig deep and you know support one another and i knew when i got into the union i knew it was going to be hard work but i knew that i could do the hard work yeah. So as long as I did the hard work, I knew I was going to be okay. Mm. And I, and I've been okay. That's awesome. Thanks. So, yeah. so when did you, did you work for that, the same DNR uh, sort of department or whatever, while you were in there, or did that your job bounce around at all? So it was the department of natural resources for the state of Washington. And um, I worked there shoot almost three years um and then i got shipped off to pre-release which was over in eastern washington okay Um, i was only there pre-release for oh i don't know a couple of months and then i ended up going to work release in spokane um i decided while i was incarcerated at the prison that i did not want to go back to the county that i was convicted in Uh Um, that's how badly i just did not want to end up back where I came from. Yeah, sure. So I decided I'm going to move all the way across the state where I didn't, I didn't know anybody uh, and I'm going to stay there and I'm going to build a life there. Yeah. Um, so I went to work release there. I got a job down at the newspaper. Um, actually for over there, it was a really good paying job. I think it was like 10 or 11 bucks an hour. Um, for me, that was a good job, you know, yeah. and uh, it enabled me to put a, you know, a, decent amount of money away in savings from work release. And I ended up uh, renting a little studio apartment before I was released um, right down the road from the work release. So I could go back there for classes and, you know, whatever I needed to do. Um, I didn't have a car, so uh, it was close enough to work that I could walk down the hill to work um, and on a bus line. So I could get on the bus to go buy groceries and stuff like that. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. 
So, so Heather, during all of this time, you know, either while you were in prison or once you got out, did you ever, did you ever do any recovery work? Did you ever talk to any like therapist or anybody that helped you with the, with the addiction or, or, you know, no, okay. no, they told me, um, that I was too old. Uh, you know, cause I had looked into like, Oh, Hey, maybe I want to go to school. Like while I'm incarcerated what do I want to be when I get out of here you know what am I going to do sure Uh, they told me that I was too old and that you know treatment in school was basically you know for the younger kids coming in Um, um, so no I didn't Um, uh, when I got out I did go to meetings okay Um, and then when I moved back to the other side of the mountains um, to help take care of my sister's kids who was in active addiction. I did go to NA and, um, you know, get pretty involved, but I'm not, I'm not involved now. Okay. Okay. But you, but you did have, you did have some sort of support structure that was outside of your own kind of white knuckling it through your own willpower. When I got released. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you said, it sounds like we, you, well, <clears throat> Well, I mean, I was in a town. I didn't know anybody for one. Yeah. For two, um, you know, I had made a decision. Like, I'm not going back to where I came from. Yeah, just yeah. not getting it. Yeah. Um, and then I had, you know, I had like aftercare, but that was like a week, uh, you know, once a week at the work release. And it was, it didn't last very long at all. So uh, I'm not sure how much, you know, counseling or that came later <laughs> after my brother. Mm. So, yeah. yeah yeah so what uh what i what happened with him was it, did was he into drugs too or what was going on for him so um he was the youngest and at a pretty young age he was pretty young when my mom went into the nursing home mm-hmm. and he ended up with my stepdad his dad but uh, his, you know, he's just as dysfunctional as my mom ever was. Okay. And, um, you know, Michael was his name and he would, so Michael would bounce around from relative to relative. I mean, he stayed with me for a little while and, um, you know, um, ultimately he ended up over in Montana at his grandma's house mm. and um, that's where he grew up. Um. And yeah, he got into drugs. I think he had some mental, mental, uh, mental health issues. Um, he had two kids, Lynn and Xander, and uh, <clears throat> the state of Montana had taken those two kids and put them in the custody of my aunt and grandma over there. Um, and him and his girlfriend at the time, <clears throat> you know, were using drugs and they were homeless. And I'm not really sure all that happened that night. Um, you know, I don't believe, uh, I don't believe what she says about what happened that night. Mm -hmm. Um, but basically she says, you know, they were fighting and she was going to leave him and he, you know, said something about not being loved and then, you know, decided to take his life by way of shotgun. Wow. Um, uh, yeah. And you know, we didn't grow up together and um, we had been over there, though, because there was like some court stuff going on with the kids. And oh. so my brother and I had gone over there um, and we showed up at this meeting like, you know, and I remember Michael saying, what are you guys doing here? You never came over here, the whole, you know, the whole time I was growing up and, um, you know. And we didn't, we didn't make an effort, you know, and, um, yeah. man, it just really, whew, I get a little emotional still. It really just threw me for a loop. And, um, I felt, I still feel, <clears throat> excuse me, I feel bad, you know, yeah. um, I'm positive though, that there's nothing I could have done personally to prevent it. Yeah. Um, you know, it was going to happen if it was going to happen. Um, I don't feel like had I been over there every summer, every year that, you know, it would have prevented it. Um, you know, Michael was a, uh, 
you know, he, he saw all the dysfunction just as we did, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, he chose to start using drugs and he chose, he chose his path. Yeah. Uh, but it did, it threw me into a man, a deep depression. Yeah. God. <laughs> I bet. So it's been about three years, two of those years I spent, um, you know, I kind of fell back off the wagon a little bit. I mean, I didn't start using hard drugs, but I did start drinking heavily. Okay. Um, I was just in so much pain over the whole thing. And, you know, his what and what happened with his kids and what still is going on with his kids, you know, um, their mom is, she's just a horrible person, you know, and mm. she doesn't want family to see them. And, you know, she has me blocked on you know, everything, you know, so my aunt actually took her to court and got third party custody. So they're, they come here in the summer uh, now, so we're able to see them. But, um, yeah, for about two years, I, uh, I drank very heavily trying to, you know, I don't know, I'm trying to fix it, if you will, my pain. Um, yeah, yeah. and finally, you know, and this is, this is one thing about me, like finally one day, I had come home from a women's conference. My husband was gone hunting and I had just drank and drank and drank the whole weekend. And I woke up and I was like, all right, that's it. You know, I had, um, you're, you're about ready to piss away everything that you have. Right. Yeah. So I had, uh, I have a great marriage. Um, the job that I have now, um, you know, I'm the first female to have that job, which is, you know, the business agent for my local union. I'm coming up on my second year um, of being the very first female for my local union business agent. Congrats. So, you know, thank you. And yeah. I've been sober for 14 months. So, you know, those other couple of months I was, you know, uh, putting my job in jeopardy, um, you know, and. I was like, okay, enough is enough. And so I sought some professional help. Um, you know, I went to a counselor and I was like, okay, today, this is the day I'm done, you know, yeah. no more. Yeah. And, um, you know, I started working with her and trying to sort out, you know, my feelings around my brother. And, um, I feel like I have a good handle on it now, you know, the good. thing with my brother and, um, and I haven't drank and, you know, it's been 14 months. Now. That's beautiful. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I'm a regular gym rat when they're open right now, they're all closed due to COVID. So <laughs> yeah, uh, sure. Yeah. So well, yeah. You know, I think, I think that's really awesome, Heather. I mean, you're, you're one of the strongest, most courageous people that I know. Oh, and thank you. No, seriously. Like, I don't, I don't say that lightly. I mean, you know, I think <laughs> everybody that I have on this podcast become my hero and you're definitely one of those people, you know, and Thank I, you. I think it's, you're, you're, you're my hero because your story is inspiring. You know, you, you've been through hell and you didn't let it stop you and you, you weren't too prideful or whatever to ask for help. You know, yeah. you actually, you actually let, you know, somebody who, somebody who was your, you know, I, I don't even know what to call him, what his title was, this Mr. Mather guy, you know, somebody who was like your, you know, your boss, so to speak in prison, which I'm sure wasn't really comfortable. You actually let him make a difference for you, you know, yeah. when you, when you had, you know, this stuff going on with the alcohol and your brother passing and you knew, you, you knew you couldn't do that alone. You went and you got help. You asked, yep. you, you, you humbled yourself and you asked for help. You said enough. I had enough. to. Yeah. I, yeah. I was going to lose everything and I knew it. I knew that my husband wasn't happy with me. Yep. Right. I knew that going to work every day, hungover and looking like shit. Sorry, but no, you're you know, good. looking like shit and feeling like shit and not giving my best to a position where, you know, um, I'm honored to have my job. Yeah. If you will. Um, and a lot of people look to me and, you know, there's a lot of women in our local and a lot of other folks, you know, that, um, I help on a daily basis and, you know, who are just all looking to me to see how I behave and how I handle the pressure. And, you know, there's no way in hell I was going to let anybody see me fail again. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. 
Yeah. Well, kudos, kudos to you. And I'm, I'm so glad that you brought up that last piece. I was getting ready to ask you about that because, you know, when, when we were talking uh, uh, a few weeks ago prior to this interview, that was one of the things that really struck a chord with me is that you're, you know, you're a leader, you're a role model. You have, you have people that are, that are working uh, for you, with you, around you that look up to you. And that's yeah. a big deal to you. You don't take that lightly and you, you know, mm-hmm. you're making decisions about your own life and your own, you know, habits and well-being first and foremost for yourself and your family, but also because you're a role model and people are looking up for you to you. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I work with women coming out of prison now as part of my job. Um, you know, they, we have our uh, institution here has a trades related apprenticeship coaching, excuse me. It's a 16 week intense, um, get you ready for the trades, if you will. Yeah. Um, And before COVID, you know, I'd go out to the prison and I, you know, talk with the ladies and tell my story and, I did, I did not personally get the chance to take that 16 week program, but there are many women uh, in our local who have taken it and who have gotten out of prison who are successful, you know, um, and, uh, you know, a handful of them, it started with me going there and saying, Hey, you know, I'm Heather and I was here once and this is what I've done. And, you know, it just makes it possible. It, it reaffirms to them that yes, there's hope for me. You know, I can get out, I can do this, I can be successful. There's a place for me to go where I'll be accepted. You know, the iron workers don't care about your criminal history. They care that you can do the work. And if you can do the work, you know, you're going to start out with a living wage job, you know, the union thing, living wage jobs, insurance, yep. retirement, the whole nine yards. A lot of these women have never, never maybe even had a job. Or came from abusive relationships and that abusive relationship is waiting for them to come home and they don't want to go there, but they don't know any other way. You know, if I can, you know, if I can put that fork in the road for them, then man, you know, what, what, what a great thing. Yeah. I think that's, I feel like working with these women is what I take the most pride in with my work. And I mean, well, yeah, you know, I help a lot of people out. I do you know, with unemployment issues and job issues and, but man, just instilling in these women, some sort of hope. Cause it's always, you know, it's been 15 years for me and I still can't, I still can't go rent an apartment. Or if I had kids in school, I wouldn't be able to volunteer at their school. Cause you get that felon or offender, you know, which is yep. ridiculous, but it, it's sad how you're still judged, still yeah. judged, even after you're out for all those years doing the good, you know, doing good and, I, I mean, I've never been in any other trouble ever again. And still, it just follows you around. Well, that, that's why that's why I'm having you and people like you on this show, because the world needs to know the difference that you're making, you know, and, and somebody somebody's going to listen to this podcast and there and you're going to make a difference for them, too. And you're I hope you know, so. you're out in the world and and people, like I said, they're looking up to you and you're just sharing, sharing the truth about who you are, where you came from and what life is like now. And that's, I love what you said. You're, you're putting that fork in the road for them where they, where they actually see a path to a better future. And that's so great. I mean, it's like the, it's the best thing in the world. I mean, I, I just, life is good. Life yeah. is so, so good now. Yeah. That, yeah I can't so, imagine it. I never once, I mean, if you had told me 16 years ago when I was out on the streets running and being, you know, what I was being, that I would have a life like I do now, I would, and it was just something I dreamed about, you know, yeah. like, oh, you know, doing the things that my husband and I do, you know, um, you know, like going to the dunes and riding our motorcycles and, you know, just being in a good, healthy relationship and, you know, having a great job and, you know, being, uh, able to go to the grocery store, you know, I mean, food was scarce sometimes growing up and, you know, I've had to work through some food insecurity issues actually that I didn't realize I had, um, you know, so, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, you got to recognize, recognize, you know, Hey, this isn't right or something, this doesn't feel right. And, you know, uh, there's no shame in asking for help. Absolutely none. Yeah. That's so, that's so awesome. 
Well, you, um, thanks for sharing about what life is like now and everything. And I, I know you're, you're a humble person, so I'm going to make you talk about this and you probably are going to, you might get mad at me, but, but here we go. Tell, tell us, tell us about this, uh, you know, this recognition that you just recently got. Oh, I am. I get embarrassed. Like <laughs> every time I do it. it. <laughs> Every time I talk about myself or I do like a video for the, the union or something, I never even watch them. Yeah. Just, I, I don't. I'm just like, oh, I'm embarrassed. Um, so my boss nominated me for a, an award um, through the Construction Business Owners Magazine. Um, I was I was in the I was so there were 300 nominations and I made the top 10 um, for the uh top 10 women in construction so um like i was telling you earlier i don't i i didn't really feel like i belong in that group of women because you know i come from the field so before i got the job that i have now i was out in the field busting rods and you know um working on structural buildings and you know welding and um so these women come from college and you know they're ceos and owners of companies and felt like oh wow I don't really belong in this with this group of women but okay um my husband and my boss promptly you know let me know that you absolutely do belong in that group Mm. um and uh so it was nice my boss nominated me for that um I have no idea what the nomination says I never I did not get the opportunity to read it but part of being picked was uh the nomination like how it read and what they said about you so um, and my boss has a way with words, which I'm envious of because he's pretty quick. But uh, so yeah, I got not uh, so I made the top ten women in construction, and then um, right after that, it was became hunting season, so we went hunting. Uh, we were camping, and um, every year we the iron work. You know, all the we have this thing called um, women build nations, and it's all trades women from across the country, all trades, all different labor trades we get together once a year um and we have like a conference um this year due to covid it was all virtual so um during that weekend our international staff comes and spends the weekend with us and we have a caucus that we're able to talk to our general president well that happened via zoom this year so um vicky o'leary who's one of my mentors um she works for the international and she was said heather i need you to be on this you know zoom for the caucus just to kind of like be like a co-host and keep the peace and whatever. And I was like, okay, well, we're going to be hunting, but we'll go in the morning and then, you know, we'll come back and I'll get on this zoom. Well, I did, we did that. And, um, little did I know the whole time, like my husband knew my boss knew, Mm -hmm. um, my husband had the award and the gold iron worker watch in the toy hauler with him as along with some flowers and, you know, some other stuff. And then, um, you know, we started this Zoom and Eric Dean, our general president, started, you know, to introduce me. And here comes my husband. And, you know, a toy hauler isn't that big. Yeah. But he had those things hidden from me in the toy hauler. I was like, where the heck did these come from? Anyways, I got um, awarded a Meritus Award every year. They pick one mm-hmm. female to give this award to. And so um, I felt honored, um, you know, to be chosen for that award. Um, I'm honored to have both awards. They just both mean a little bit different, you know, yeah, sure. Um, but it was nice to get that award as well. It was a stellar, uh, and you know, and we tagged out all our deer this year. So that was good. Too. <laughs> uh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, this is, this is just, it's incredible. It's miraculous. It's like, it's one of my favorite stories on the, on the podcast so far, Heather. I just, I think it's so awesome how you went from the, you know, the past that you had, you know, literally starting from the moment that you were born. I mean, this, this, this life of, you know, being impacted by drugs and addiction and, you know, the, the legal battles that you've been through in your life started when you were firstborn. So, you know, you started, you started being impacted by this in kindergarten, you said earlier, now you're, now you're, you're, you have uh, an award-winning job, 
which is ridiculous yeah. to even say, right? You've yeah. got you've got an amazing relationship with a husband. You guys have dogs as your, you know, your 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 furry your furry kids in the house. Most importantly, you got your Harley Davidson. I mean, yeah. it's uh it's it's crazy to even even think about. So I really appreciate you being willing to share. And thank you. Uh, in, our, in our last couple of minutes here, what uh what would you leave our audience with? If you have some listeners out there who are, you know, going through some shit and they, you know, they need a little inspiration from Heather Kurtenbach, what would you leave them with? No, I would tell them, you know, if you're struggling, I mean, struggling, it isn't going to last, you know, you're going to struggle for a little while, but don't make decisions based on a short term, you know, struggle. And to reach out, definitely reach out. Um, I have no problem raising my hand and being like, hey, I'm struggling. Um, I have sometimes I have to, you know, I have to feed off of somebody else, you know, and um, there and like I had said earlier, there's no shame in asking for help. You know, there's absolutely no shame in asking for help. Um, you know, and we're all worth it. You know, everybody's worth it. Um probably just a bad day not a bad life you know yeah totally yeah. yeah such uh such wise words heather again thank you so much for being with us here today uh i know without a shadow of a doubt this story is going to make a difference for people thank you for the difference that you make out in the world and i'm so happy for you that you have such an like a wonderful life now in spite of all that you've been through so yeah thank you yeah, my, I have one regret. I, I just want to share my one regret. Yeah. So my kids, you know, if you notice, I didn't really um, get into that. Uh, but the relationship there has never been mended, you know, so I would say, you know, my kids just turned 30 years old on uh, Tuesday. So the 15th yeah. of December. They turned 30 years old and um, I don't have a relationship with them. I don't even know, you know, where they are. Mm. Um, I tried, you know, I tried when I got out of prison, I made amends. I went to them. I made amends, you know, um, they chose not to accept those amends and I have to accept that. Yeah. Um, that's been a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. You know, that's been a really hard pill to swallow. And that was actually part of my counseling with my brother, you know, when that happened with my brother. Yeah. Um, again, it, there's n nothing wrong with asking for help. Yeah. Absolutely none. You, you know, you don't have to carry the guilt or I, I carried, man, I carried like a freight liner full of guilt for a long time, you know, and it was really heavy and it weighed me down. And, um, I have to accept their choices and, you know, just hope that one day they'll come back around. You know, that's, um, <clears throat> I, I, I don't know what you believe about this, but I'll, I'll just say like, what I believe about it is that's not up to us. You know, right. you did, you did your, you did your part, you know, right. you, you went out and you tried to make those amends and it wasn't accepted. And, you know, you, what I know about you, especially that you're bringing this back up right now is that you would make it right. If you, if you could, you know, like you would, you would have that amends be fully made if you, if you could. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, maybe, maybe that opportunity will be made available to you sometime in the future. Yeah. Well, it might be, but you know, I, just in case anybody was listening, who was like, Hey, she had some kids. I wonder what happened with them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Thanks for being willing to share all that too. And I think that this is, you know, this is, it just drives my point home about how inspiring this story is. You know, it's not, it's not over and you're clear that there's more work to do and you're willing mm -hmm. to do the work. And I think oh, yeah. the one of the biggest lessons in this is to, you know, to go and clean yourself up and clean up as, as much of the past as you possibly can. Yep. It's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for all of this, Heather. You're welcome. Yeah, my totally. pleasure. Cool. Uh, the pleasure was absolutely mine. I really, I really appreciate you being here with us and sharing all that you did with the audience today. Yep, absolutely. Cool. 
All right, everybody. Again, thank you very much for listening to the Tragedy to Triumph podcast. I'm your host, Mick Carbo. Uh, you all heard from this amazing human being, Heather Kurtenbach, today. Uh, thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week. See ya. It's our hope that this story makes a difference for another person. If it helps one person, we believe we've done our work. Consider telling a friend about this podcast. You might just make a difference for them too. Accomplishment Coaching, the world's finest coaches training program. I owe much of the man I am today to the work I've done and the relationships I've built in this community. For anybody out there who wants to start a career as a coach or enhance their skills as a coach, look no further. Transform your life and set yourself up to win in your coaching business at the same time. Find out more at accomplishmentcoaching.com.